welcome you to the You Ask For It podcast. We're beginning a whole new series that's based upon the Apostles' Creed. Tonight I have with me Pastor Dave Marshall. Uh, next week, Justin Alexander will return to us and we'll be able to do our co-hosting once again. But what we're going to do is take the Apostles' Creed and use it as a guide, not only to study what we Christians believe, but to use it to find pertinent questions we can answer. So every week we're going to look at a portion of the Apostles' Creed and then we're going to form a question from it. Tonight the question is, what does it mean to believe? And that's because the first two words of the Apostles' Creed are, I believe. And so since we are staying, stating that when, when people say that particular statement of faith. Now, this particular statement of faith is being used in many churches as a way to confess their faith. And I think that the Bible talks about the fact that our faith should start in our hearts, but it should also come out of our lips. And so I think it is healthy to be able to state what you believe with your lips. You can see that heart and mouth connection in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. So we believe in the heart, then it comes out of the mouth. Now, let me explain why in the world this statement of faith was developed. It's one of the earliest statements of faith that, uh, that Christians came up with. It probably dates all the way back to about 100 A.D. in the church in Rome. It was called the rule of faith, and rule was a measuring stick. And it was developed for two reasons. Think about the time of 100 A.D. The first reason it was developed was because this was a statement of faith each person had to memorize and affirm before they were baptized. So literally, when they were getting ready to be immersed, the pastor would look at them and say, what do you believe? And they would answer, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And they would go through this statement of faith. And that was a way that they're confessing their faith before they enter into baptism. Uh, a second reason for this was it was meant to be a guide to discern heresy. Now, you, I, I'm so grateful that we have Bibles that we can pick it up, and, and I tell you all all the time, you check me out. Don't you believe it just because I said it? We can get God's Word out. We can check it out. But can you imagine in the first century? Uh, no one could find a bound book that you could just pick up and carry with you. The manuscripts were written by hand. Uh, some churches would have some of them, and other churches would have others. Uh, probably the only time that people had access to even hearing the Bible, what we call the Bible today, was on Sunday when they would have ample times to read the Scriptures. And so if you don't have a Bible, how do you know if you're being preached to by a heretic? And already by the end of the first century, there were heresies like the Gnostics. Well, they gave them the statement of faith because this is a way to judge whether or not somebody was from the true faith or somebody who was trying to get you away from the true faith. So it was that measuring stick so that you could tell what is heresy and what is not. Uh, it's an ancient statement. When I went to uh, the Auburn area, I developed a friendship with a man who was a retired Presbyterian pastor. He'd been at Auburn for many years, 30-something years, and he loved discipling Auburn students. And so when we met together, he said, let me share with you what I do. And he said, I use three ancient documents, and I work through these. We take time, and we work through them. He said, I use the Apostles' Creed, I use the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. And he said, and we take months and we walk through all the implications of those three ancient statements of faith. 
And he said, that's how I disciple someone. Uh, Dave, you served in a conservative Methodist church. And so in that particular church, the Apostles' Creed was a part of how they trained the children at a certain age. Tell us about that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. The Apostles' Creed is something that we said every Sunday. How many of y'all, and I'm asking on a podcast here, said the Apostles' Creed in your church on Sundays? Look at that. Well, a lot of people yeah. here raising their hands. Pastor Stephen, I love how you lead us through John 3.16 every Sunday. And that means a lot to us that when we said that, but that was something that we stood up and we said we believed. Now, sometimes, Pastor, a lot of people didn't believe it and they just came to church, you know, and they were, it was a ritual. And so we did something at, at, in the Methodist church called confirmation. And a lot of people had gone through different confirmations, but kids reach kind of the age of accountability Well, we wanted to share the gospel. What do we really believe? And we would take them through the Apostles' Creed. But I had a lot of parents that they wanted their kids to be a member of the church because you you had a lot of country club people. I did. I had a lot of country (laughs) club people, and they, you know, would only show up every once in a while. That's that's right. (laughs) Hey, they need Jesus. And, uh, but uh, I would never see them uh, at all at church except for social occasions. But they made sure their kids had to go through confirmation. And I'm like, this is a great opportunity, not only to teach the kids and share them, but their parents. So I said, if your kid is going to go through confirmation, the parent has to come to their own confirmation class. And I had one of my best leaders. His name was Kyle Rowe Jr. Do you remember? Uh, soccer player. He was America, one of America's greatest soccer players. You remember the... Uh, uh, what was the the ABC Wild World of Sports, uh, the the big challenge they used to do, the All-Stars. Uh, they would go to Hawaii, and NFL and NBA players would all compete against each other. He won it against O.J. Simpson and all these other guys. He was, he was a great guy, head of FCA. And I said, Kyle, we have got to get these parents who don't even know truly what they believe, and you take them through things like the Apostles' Creed. And it was their one opportunity that we really shared. And we walked them through uh, instead of just standing up and saying something. But what do you truly believe? Mm. I, when I was at in college, I belonged to a great Baptist church and a fine Bible teacher. But I, there was another great Bible teacher, and he was the pastor at First Presbyterian Macon, Jim Baird. And so I would go to 8.30 at First Pres, and then I would go to my Baptist church at 11. <laughs> and one of the things I enjoyed, because I'd never been around to anybody but Baptists before that, is that somewhere during the service, Jim would jump to attention. And then he would go, Christian, what do you believe? And everybody would stand to their feet and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And I could tell it was coming from their hearts. And I thought, this is healthy. Now, I'll explain why we don't do the Apostles' Creed. Traditionally, Baptists have not been people who would put creeds in their services. But I felt like it's been necessary for us to be able to state our faith. So if you re- if you listen to the words I say, I say, let's remind each other of the gospel by quoting John 3.16. So in essence... What we're doing on Sunday mornings by saying John 3.16 every Sunday is that's kind of the Baptist Apostles' Creed. You know, so that sums up the gospel in a nutshell, but it gives us a chance to state our faith. Well, Dave, why don't you share with us the Apostles' Creed? Absolutely. Then? And Pastor, it's funny. When I went to college, Dr. Baird uh, was the pastor right down the street from my yeah. college, and I went there many times, and I heard him say the exact same thing. Yeah. All right, now this one that you have in front of you, Many of the Apostles' Creed versions are just a tad bit different. 
And so, Pastor, this is from the Church of England. The Church of England. I, I okay. had to go through and pick one of them. So. Yeah, because they're all maybe just a little different, you know, but I'll read this one for us. But I could say it from memory that I used to say. But all right, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. You're going to talk about that. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Baptists have a hissy fit when you say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But you've got to understand the word Catholic simply means worldwide church. In the 100, there was no Roman Catholic Church. What we call the Catholic Church technically is the Roman Catholic Church. So you're not saying, I believe in the Roman Catholic Church when you say that. But there are denominations like the Lutherans refuse to say the word Catholic. They just say, I believe in the Holy Church. <laughs> and so, huh? Apostolic. apostolic is what they said in your yeah. Lutheran, okay? And so apostolic, but they're, 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 they would change different words. So the, the other phrase that is that's sometimes left out by different people when they do it is, he descended into hell or descended into the dead. And, and can I say this? I've gone back and looked at the earliest versions. I think about the earliest version I found was about 140 AD, and they were a good bit shorter, but they did not have Catholic in there. They did not have descended into hell. Those were phrases that were added much later. So let's just take that aside, and we'll look at that later on. Um, Chuck Colson, who was one of the heroes of the faith, wrote a book, I think in the 90s, called The Body. And he longed to see more of a unity among all true Christians. Um, part of the reason was he was involved in the fight, even in the 90s, for traditional biblical morality. And he found himself in the trenches for pro-life with Catholics. He, he found himself opposed sometimes by Methodists. They, they tended to be pro-choice at that time. So he said, what we've got to do is we've got to recognize we've got two big enemies. There are the secularists who are attacking all of us who are Christians. And then there are the liberal versions of Christianity. And they're changing what these words actually mean or rejecting what they mean. So he said, what we need to do is we've got to unite because we're under attack. And he said the, the one basis he felt like Christians could unite is this. Could we get every Christian together to be united if they could say the Apostles' Creed and mean it? I thought that was an interesting thought. Could you say it and mean it? Now, let me explain something. Because one of the, the tragedies is a lot of the churches that have moved toward liberalism, where they no longer hold to the fact that the Bible is true and the miracles happened, a lot of those churches, because of their love of liturgy, their love of tradition, still say the Apostles' Creed, but they don't believe it anymore. I, I had a radio program for a while at WHKP that was a call-in show, did it with a Presbyterian pastor. And oftentimes, I, if there was a pastor of a downtown church that came to town, I would invite them and say, let me introduce you to the community. Well, I had one of the newer, the newest person at First Methodist across the street and he came to me and said, before we go on the air, let me make this clear. Don't ask me if I believe in the virgin birth because I don't. And so here's a man whose church will say that on Sunday, 
But even though he says it, he no longer believed it because like so many of those in the liberal brand of Christianity, he rejected the miraculous. So I, I think that there's a, a legitimacy in saying that this is, this is the basic truths that have united Christians through the centuries. And there's some uh, justification, there's some benefit that comes by saying, let's look and see what just the, it's kind of like uh, C.S. Lewis's term, mere Christianity. You know, he, he had a book called Mere Christianity because he was looking for the Christianity that's at its uh, most simple that almost every Christian would affirm. Now, with that said, that's introduction. Now we're going to go to the first two words, I believe. And so the question today is, what does it mean to believe? And I want to start by saying this, friends. The power is not in the faith. Faith is only as good as the object that it's put in. So I, I, in one of my churches, I had the son of the president of a Pentecostal college who, who came, they moved to our town, they joined our church. He really didn't want to be a part of his Pentecostal tradition anymore and, and enjoyed the Baptist church. But he said, because he was the son of the president of a Pentecostal college, he said, uh, the other guys there, they were planning to be Pentecostal preachers. He said his roommate turned to him one day and said, I hope to live long enough to have enough faith one day to raise somebody from the dead. And the implication he got was if I can just keep building faith and building faith. And once you get faith way up here, you can do extraordinary things. But Jesus said, no, no, no. All you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. It's not the size of your faith. It's the size of the God you're putting your faith in. Amen. Faith is just the conduit. Um, it reminds me of a man that visited the North. I've, I've lived in the South all my life, and I know some of y'all have come from those geographically challenged areas. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so we just don't, even if a lake freezes, we don't get out on the lake because you just, it's just, it's, there's just too much danger out there. But, but the lakes up north can freeze over so thick that you can drive a car over. Well, there was a southerner and, and somebody said, you, go ahead and take the shortcut, walk across the lake. And he was inching his way out, going so slow, afraid that the, uh, the, the, the ice may crack. And all of a sudden, a truck whizzed right past him. <laughs> <laughs> and he had small faith, but it didn't matter that his faith was small because the ice was thick. So the, the legitimacy of faith is what you're believing in. That's the reason in John 3.16 it says, Whosoever believeth in him. It's not faith in faith. Uh, it's faith in him. One of the terms I don't like nowadays and when you're in a community, they say we need to get people together in the faith community. You know, and that's a term for all the different religions. That are, no, I'm not interested in a faith community. I'm interested in those who put their, who, whosoever believeth in him, put their faith in Jesus. So he is the object of our faith. Now, Christianity is not based on works, it's based on faith, but there's a puzzling passage James, uh, in James that I'm going to let you deal with, Dave. It's interesting that you asked me to do this, Pastor, because October, uh, the first Sunday of October, we're uh, having the Lord's Supper again, and that's the passage I'm going to be okay, preaching so on. so you'll do a whole sermon James. on it. I'll do a whole sermon on it, but I'll, I'll give you just a little preview. Uh, it talks about the man in the mirror in uh, James about... You know, if you just li merely listen to the word, but don't do what it says, you're like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he immediately forgets who he is. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, 
that gives freedom, he will be blessed in what he does. Mm. So, you know, we're going to talk about, like, is my faith real? You know, do I really believe it? I'm not just saying this. Is this a tradition in my church? My wife grew up saying the Apostles' Creed in her church. It was a, a liberal Presbyterian church. She never truly heard the gospel, but she said things like the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. And in fact, when her pastor retired and it came down to it, it's like, you know, I guess he had just been the pastor of the church and that was his job. Once he retired, he became a Unitarian. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you didn't believe anything you were saying. Mm. You know, and I think that's a fair question. Yeah. Do we truly believe? Am I putting my faith on and the And actions show the belief. If you believe, Absolutely. there'll be actions. Absolutely. Well, let me give you an example of that, Pastor. Uh, Ken Davis was a great youth speaker, and, and he tells a, uh, just a very interesting story about the law of the pendulum. And he went to uh, his college, and it was a, a speech class, and he's supposed to make a point. And so he was explaining the law of the pendulum, and he took a little twine and a, a child's toy and put it at the bottom of the twine, pulled it back, and the law of the pendulum basically says as far as you pull it back to this side, it's only going to swing at that far to the other side. And then it won't. And then it'll get less, less each and time. less and less each time. And so do you believe that? And so he actually got the professor up there and said, you know, to believe that. And it came up right to his nose, you know, and wasn't going to hit him, and they got less and less. And he said, do you believe in this? Sure, I believe in that. Makes sense. You know, Okay. Well, he goes, okay, well, look up here. And he had tied a 250-pound weight to some parachute cord uh, that could hold it all. And he pulled that weight all the way back to where it would have only come up to his nose. And he said, do you believe now? Now, 250 pounds coming right at you. Guess what that professor did? Duck, he ducked as quick as could be. And he asked the class, did he believe? No. He didn't believe. Yeah, that's it. Now, D.L. Moody has a good thought on what faith actually involves. What what does faith look like if it's true faith? Because we're talking about what does it mean to believe? He said there are three elements to faith. The first element is knowledge. You've got to know what you're believing in. Uh, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, Then there's agreement. It's it's not just that I hear it, but I, I need to agree with it. I do believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he's born of a virgin, that he died and rose again. I've got to not only know those facts, but then agree with those facts. And then the last part is laying hold of it. I hear it, I get knowledge, I agree with it, then I take it in. And you can see that third element in John 1, 12. It says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And what he does is he has a parallel. What does it mean to believe in his name? To receive him. Those words were interchangeable. How do I know that I believed in him? Because I received him. So there's, so you see that laying hold of. Um, Dave, uh, Dave, we're talking about you've got to have the knowledge, you've got to have the agreement, and I think that chases us to, to one more rabbit we need to look at, and that's the fact that there are a lot of people that we minister to. And by the way, let me tell you this that you may not know about Dave. Dave was a youth minister in two very large churches and was very well known among youth ministers across the United States. He had huge youth groups. So he dealt with uh, young people for, for, dec- for over a decade, I'm sure. About 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. 
God bless you. I, <laughs> now, I did not kill anybody. <laughs> I came close. <laughs> but now, one of the things we have to deal with, since faith involves knowledge and agreement, we have to know, how do we deal with those who are going through periods of doubt? Absolutely. What can Pastor. you say about that? You know, Pastor, what hits me the most is um, from Matthew 28, where Jesus is given the Great Commission and he directed his disciples to come up the mountain to, to worship. But there's a, a very small passive part there. It says, but some doubted. Mm. And that really gives me a lot of peace in ministry. And like Jesus does not give up on doubters. That's right. He did not give up on Peter. He did not give up on those disciples that ran away, that took off. He, he was continually mm-hmm. after them. And of course we have doubts. Let's just be honest. You know, we have struggles. You know, there are times where we're saying, God, where are you? I'm struggling. You know, but I, I see some people in their faith journey. And I read an article today about one of my former youth in a, a magazine called Mississippi Christian Living. And he struggled with alcohol addiction for years of his life. He was Baptist, mm-hmm. came to my little Methodist youth group, you know, but I knew he, he had that struggle and it wasn't until he truly trusted God. Mm-hmm. It, it got him to the point of two broken marriages, went to a rehab eight times, mm-hmm. ended up in the state mental hospital, and then he finally turned to God. Amen. And when he did that, now he's on the front cover of this Christian magazine yeah. as a witness to God. God is so gracious. And I'm like, yeah. praise the Lord. God didn't give up on him. That's right. And his doubts. And one of the things that we can do when people bring doubts to us is Kierkegaard said this. He said, uh, Christianity is a blind leap of faith into the dark. I could not disagree more. I believe that there's strong evidences to what we believe. In 1 Peter 3, it says, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. We ought to be able to say, here's the reasons I believe the Bible is true. Here's the reasons I believe Jesus is who he says he is. He's risen. And here's the evidence for the resurrection, those kind of things. So I think one of the things that we can do in order to be helpful to people whose faith is shaken at a point in time is go ahead and get good books that you can read that will help you answer those doubts. I'll give you a couple of examples. I love Lee Strobel's Case for Christ. He also has Case for Faith, Case for a Creator. So he's done a good job in in putting it where lay folks can understand that. One of my favorites is James Kennedy. He's now in heaven, but he was the pastor down in Florida, a Presbyterian pastor called Why I Believe. I can't think of a better book than that. But one of my favorite preachers now is Chip Ingram, and he just put out a book entitled why I believe. <laughs> and he once again, he, he gives the reasons behind the faith. So I'd encourage you to look at those things. But one other thing, we've talked about faith means knowledge, agreement, laying hold of. And so I've got to, if I have doubts, I've got to have reasons why I agree, it, agree with it. I've got to have, be able to brought through those doubts. But there's another aspect that the Bible teaches about faith, and that's this. The word for faith, pistos, literally means to trust. Um, Jesus, when he contrasted faith, he contrasted it not so much with doubt, but with fear. You remember when he was asleep in the boat and the storm came and they woke him up? And I love the King James. It says, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? <laughs> haven't, we, haven't we complained to God like that when we're in trouble? God, don't you care for me anymore? 
And Jesus got up and stilled the storm. And then he looked at them and said, Why are you fearful? Where is your faith? Now, if you understand that the essence of faith is to trust God, you can see why the opposite of faith would be worry. Anything I'm worried about, I'm not trusting God for. If I'm trusting God for it, then I'm not worried about it anymore. Does that make sense? So I think the, 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 we've got to sit here and say, have I actually trusted Him? Have I rested in Him? Um, I think the cure, if somebody's going through that point where I don't know if I can trust God, keep reminding them of how faithful and good the God is that we've trusted in. Remind them of the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. Remind them of times they've seen God come through in the past or times you've seen God come through in your life. So we point to the character of God when the, when the struggle of faith is, is being able to trust God. Bill Bright, I, I use him a lot, but my life was set in the right direction under Campus Crusade. He talked about that when he was a seminary student, his roommate turned to him and gave an honest confession. He said, Bill, even though I'm in seminary, we're about to graduate, I've never really completely committed my life to the Lord. He said, I'll tell you why, because I had a premonition before I came to seminary that if I ever really committed my life to the Lord, that God would cause my parents to die in a horrible car accident. Mm. And Bill says, now, wait a minute. Think about that. Does that sound like God? God looks at you and says, oh, I've been waiting for you to commit yourself to me so that I can ruin your life. Now, think about you as a parent. Uh, there were times when my kids would walk up to me and they'd hug me and say, Daddy, I love you. Can I do something? I'd say, yeah, get in the car and we're going to Walmart. <laughs> yeah. It blesses me when my kids want to trust in me, when my kids tell me they love me. Does that make sense? I don't want to ruin their lives. I don't say, oh, I'm going to make you regret that one the rest of your life, kid. No, we've got a God who is trustworthy. Let me close this podcast uh, this week with this statement from C.S. Lewis. You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong as long as you're merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? You don't know how much it's the truth or falsehood means anything until it becomes a matter of life and death. And I want to tell you something, folks. I have faced death. And I can say that that rope held, that I, I know, I know he keeps his promise that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we've started our journey down the study of Christian teachings through the Apostles' Creed. We've tackled two whole words. I believe we're going to add a third word next week. I believe in God. So uh, we we'll look forward to having you come and join us then. Thank you for being with us. 